afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are today. I'm Ali Amagaster, and you're listening to the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered. Today, I am very excited to have a guest on from who represents a new and different topic for us. We have not talked much, if at all, about AI ops on the show. And today, we're so glad to have Banu Singh joining us. He is a senior vice president at OpsRamp, and he's got all kinds of expertise to share with us. So welcome, Banu. Thank you, Alison. I'm very happy and glad to be here. Before I unleash our barrage of questions on you, I also would like to welcome my co-host, Pete Johnson, coming to me live from the Nerd Lair in Upper Michigan. Well, you forgot the underground part, but I'll accept the, the intro otherwise. We're, we almost, I almost have as little snow as you do there in, in LA because it's mid-April and we've got a wave of 50 degree temperatures and we're finally, finally getting rid of the snow. Nice. Congratulations, sir. I know. I'm very excited, as are my chihuahuas. <laughs> are you the kind of person who makes them wear coats all winter? Uh, I attempt to. That there's, there's The smallest, cutest-looking one is also the most ornery and really hates when you try to put a coat on her. If you, if you want to get bit by a toothless jawline over and over again, that's really the best. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Have. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm glad they're all right. So, Banu. I did a little studying up on on you and on AI ops before we uh, got together for this meeting, but I'd love it if you could explain to our audience what AI ops is, first off, because I'm sure there are lots of misconceptions about it. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, Gartner came up with this word called AI ops, and initially they started calling it algorithmic, algorithmic operation. And later on, it changed and transformed into, you know, artificial intelligence operation. If you look at uh, machine learning, AI has been there for many, many years. For the last 50 years, people have been solving these problems in, in fingerprinting, in defense, in image processing, but because of the compute and because of the technology kind of constraints and restriction, this was, this never made into mainstream IT. You know, we, we have been managing IT and trying to see how do we correlate the changes, the incidents, or the alerts or the inferences that are coming from different set of devices and applications to really make sense because in the IT world, people like collecting metrics, like collecting all the information, all the data, but very, very often, you know, they really make sense out of it because there is a lot of data and you don't have any way to relate and to make sense in the time that human can really decipher what really happened in, in, in that period of time. And it is always backward looking, right? You, by the time we find out the system has you know, come up and everything is hunky-dory. So machine learning has finally, artificial intelligence has picked up. And I believe it is a combination of many things. AI ops is a combination of mathematical models, graph technology that we have, graph algorithms. People have been using graph for many, many years, whether, you know, simple people started with B3, binary tree, and then there is a slew of uh, graph algorithms out there. And there's statistical model that, uh, that people have, and then mathematical algorithms that we can use in order to really get meaning out of it. So what Gartner looked at and said, look, in the IT operation, there are three different distinct organizations today that kind of they don't talk to each other. One is service management, one is monitoring, and one is automation. And if you look at it, at the end of the day, the operations are becoming so complex 
because of the complex technology architecture, application architecture, things running in the hybrid world, everything defines software. So it is humanly becoming impossible to really connect the dots between monitoring, service management, and operation. And that's where AI ops came into play. What if the machine could figure it out? What really happened while a monitoring tool, monitoring system had some issues? That triggered into an action that needs to be taken by an analyst, by a by an engineer at a NOC, NOC means network operating center, operation center, or somewhere else. And then eventually we need to figure it out, how do I automatically resolve it? Uh, and that is through automation or through a human resolution, through a change request. And this, if you look at today, people spend enormous amounts of time, 80, 90% of the time when a P0 comes in and companies lose millions of dollars just figuring it out what went wrong and why. And this is where machine can come and take care of 60, 70% of those issues and help provide the root cause, help provide the organization to be more proactive, help provide the organization to be preventive, help our organization to really find the root cause or to direct the issue to a particular team, to a particular individual, to a particular subject matter expert. So in nutshell, AI ops is trying to bring automation with a context because it understands the data which is discrete, which is federated as well as related and can get meaning out of it. And today I believe technology has evolved, matured, that it can process billions of data in real time to really make sense out of uh, what is happening because the factors are key factors, right? The time when something has happened, why it happened, and what set of data caused it to happen. When you relate all these things together, you can make a better decision at the end of the day. So I hope I gave a pretty lengthy answer for AI ops, but wanted to make sure that we are all kind of set on a on the same ground. No, I, I think that's actually a really good answer because I think when you first hear AI ops, you could believe, oh, well, this means that eventually artificial intelligence is going to replace operations people. That is not what this means at all. It sounds like there was there's data falling through the cracks right now. We, we yes. simply, as human beings, cannot process it quickly enough. And right. so AI ops is filling a gap and going to make that data useful to us. Putting it in the simplest layman's terms, is that, <laughs> is that close to being correct? I, I think it is the amount of data. I think Cisco did publish a paper recently around saying, what the changes happened in the last three decades? And if you look at you know the amount of data that we have today is brilliant amount of application changes happening on a day is in intense, uh, which used to happen in a year. You know, you are making change software, you're deploying 10 times a day using all kinds of DevOps um, tools and technologies out there. So when if something goes wrong, it is very difficult when you say you have an application running on Amazon AWS, you're running on Google Cloud, you are running a set of applications that are homegrown, and they're all interconnected in order to solve an end user or a customer. And when your customer calls you and tells, I'm not able to log in, the page is loading very slow, or I'm not able to submit this request, it's too late for you. You already lost the business. So this is where machine is going to come because you all hear the word called, you know, cloud ops, data ops, sec ops. We are getting flooded with this kind of the technologies that are evolving so fast. 
Now, the only way for human to manage and, and monitor the system is through automation. And the only way automation will become successful is the context. And only way you can provide context at that speed is machine. And that's where machine and mathematical model and algorithms will come into play. But it is not just one thing. It is a combination of many things that I said. And you are absolutely correct. This is not going to take away job. Maybe it take away job that people are mundane job that people should not be doing anyway. It will rather have people do much more effective job of resolution, you know, trying to really understand customer data, trying to understand the relationship between a customer request, a resolution, an ideation to realization. So all these things people will be doing more valued job, whereas machine will do more mundane job. Interesting. Now, before I let Pete uh, dig into you with some technical questions, I wonder, I feel like this is the very, I feel like it's early days for this technology. Can you speculate as to for what percentage of companies are already implementing AI op solutions? Is, or is it brand new? Is it a tiny percentage? So according to Forbes magazine, you know, in 2017, the, uh, I believe the company spent 1.4 billion. And by 2022, they will spend 8.8 .8 billion. So, which is a CAGR growth of 44%, you know, every year yep. from on. So, I believe definitely we are in early stage. And I I think we were talking at the beginning, but we said, hey, is it AI of the magical box? Many companies out there, many papers, many, many pundits may present AI ops like that. Okay, it is a magical box. But I don't believe it. I believe AI ops should be very targeted. It is very data-driven. It has to understand the context in which you are applying the data and what problem you are trying to solve. Are you trying to solve incident correlation? Are you trying to solve capacity optimization? Are you trying to solve classification? Are you trying to correlate something? And you have to look at case, use case by use case, and then apply. And I believe we are in a very early stage, but I agree with the Forbes uh, survey that it will become a $44 billion market in 2022 because this will take away, you know, all of us who are in IT, we talk about L1, L2, L3. I believe a majority, if not 100%, 80% of L1 responsibility will be, machine will be driving that through automation, through better intelligence, and it will cut down the cost of kind of mean time to resolution. What I mean by today, if you if if you ever been to an escalation room or a war room or a situation room, you know a P1 issue comes in in, in Cisco today or an OpsRAM, we will invite you know ten engineers on a conference call. Everybody is trying to figure it out. We are in a WebEx meeting or a hangout, and we are looking at things, right? But you don't know whose problem it is. And you are, you are spending the time of most valuable engineers in your company for two, three hours. You can do the math on how much time you spend. What if, if I tell you that the problem, I don't know the exact problem, but I know the problem is caused by switch that had a firmware upgrade last night and that has started causing some SNMP problem, which is leading to all this ESX server, all the VMWares, all the application running on VM. They are sending all these alerts. And everybody is going crazy, but really you need the network experts to look at what change they made last night. So you can avoid the nine other people coming in the bridge and trying to figure it out. Is it application problem, database problem, 
user problem, security problem, or network problem, storage problem, right? So in OpsRamp, we are like thinking, how do we cut down that cost by 50% at least? And this is where we are trying to leverage machine intelligence, graph algorithms, statistical model in order to really uh, bring the value. Right on. So you don't have a percentage, but it sounds like a lot of people are already spending money on this and they're getting ready to spend a lot more money as companies become aware of yes. the possibilities. Yes. And, and some, yeah, people are spending money, but sometimes they might be thinking it's a Nirvana machine right. for all their problems. <laughs> they need to step back and say, how do we bring it value in an incremental way and start kind of applying one at a time? That makes sense. Pete, what questions do you have about this? Yeah, so those work numbers that you were just quoting, Bonnie, are those, so are those, that's what people are spending today and what it's projected to spend on AI ops, or is that stuff that they're, is that money that they're spending in, in service of their own support methodology today? No, I think this is the money that they would spend on AI ML that enterprises okay. spend across the world. Well, so, but on AI ML in general or on AI ops? I was just trying to get a more, in, more precise in, in, definition in, of what in, that's in, in, on. in context of IT operation. I see. I see. And so you mentioned, so you mentioned a couple of things about mean time to resolution and trying to get some 50% savings and some things about L1s, L2s. So I did 17 years in HPIT and the first five years of that in the very early 90s was writing software for our enterprise support centers. And it was very much about the webification of that stuff was very much about call reduction. Because because yeah. the enterprise support business is you, you sell somebody, you sell somebody a support contract for, I don't know, half a million bucks a year or whatever it is. And then the, the, the game there is you make money for every dollar underneath that 500K a year that you're spending. And the way that you do that is by uh, having a smaller cost per call, which really equates to, you know, how quickly can you close calls? And then by extension, how, how many calls can you avoid? Because back then in, in that scenario, we were, we were webifying knowledge bases and things like that when, you know, we, we started, we, we had a dial-up service, Bonnie, is what we started with. And we, we webified all that stuff. And, and that, we, you know, we had key performance indicators that said, okay, well, last year we had a thousand calls on this topic and we released this knowledge base article and now we had 900. And you could kind of quantify that the savings you would have on. So is, is, are the key performance indicators or the things that you sell this, this idea that you sell this on from an ROI perspective for your customers, is it, is it about Automating those L1s and L0s that you're talking about so that your, your live headcount is working on more advanced, um, issues or what's, what's, what's the sales, what's the sales key performance indicator look like here? Yeah. No, very good. Very good question, Pete. And I, I can relate with you because I spent uh, 20 years, uh, uh, or more than 20 years in, in BMC software before I, um, and we, we used to compete with HPs, you know, yeah. DB and ITSM. And I, we, we used to look at this, you know, the number of support calls coming on a particular topic and how do you kind of reduce them, the deduplication, you know, how do you kind of connect multiple incidents into a single problem so that the engineer is, you know, same tickets are not created 16 times because yeah. depending on who the ticket is coming, 
at, at that point in time. People are picking up phone or they are submitting the tickets to web. So the way we are looking, we call it like a 50-50-50, the value that we sell it to a customer. And I will explain you what I mean. So today, if you look at, there is, because we are going and selling it to IT operations, they're spending a lot of time, network operation center, support center. They kind of plow through a lot of, you know, the alerts. We call them alerts or events that are getting generated uh, from all kinds of devices, whether they are outer switches, storage, application. And they are trying to make sense of sense out of it to decide whether somebody needs to work on that, right? So there are people 24 by 7 who are operating network operation center or command center, whatever you call it. So our first goal is to how do we reduce 50% volume of alerts that are coming, which basically mean nothing. So they make an example of yeah. Here. Right. Like so I, I remember that was like SNMP traps, right? Like when SNMP exactly. was saying it was like, good news, I can tell you when something failed. Bad news, we're generating a hundred thousand an hour, and I can't tell you which ones are actually relevant. Exactly, exactly. You got it. So this is even today it is SNMP, right? If you look at a lot of router features, they're still generating SNMP. We still have SNMP, one of the most prevalent uh, network protocol for L2. Uh, that is out there, right? And, and, and CDP and NLDP and all other protocols that Cisco came up with. So, so you look at that and say, okay, how do I make sense so that I can say when an inference model is coming and we call, we call them co-occurrence, we call them cluster models. So we have different models, right? Some tickets or some issues alerts happen at the same time. So they are co-occurrence. Maybe somebody unplugged something or somebody tried <laughs> something. Then there is a cluster of things happen for a particular group particular region, particular VPN, or whatever it is, right? So what we do, we basically say, if this set of alerts are coming, we are going to bundle them, all 100 of them into one, and we'll tell you which one is the main that actually caused it, because we have a topology of the entire network, and we know the parent-child relationship of the data model, right? The whole kind of uh, topology we have. So that's the first. So we want to reduce number of alerts or events that can turn into a meaningful signal. That is the first. Once they have turned into meaningful signal, we want to cut down the number of incidents that you really want to work on because we want to really group the incident, classify the incident to proper categories. Because today, if you look, an incident comes in depending on the user. User will say, performance is slow. Now, why the performance is slow there could be a backup job running in the back of the database at that time. There could be some somebody applied a network patch without talking to the application team. There could be multiple reasons. So how do we kind of bring that classification, prioritization, timing, right? For example, Saturday morning at 2 a.m., all your metrics threshold that you have, you said, hey, tell me when CPU is 95%. Tell me when IO goes to this level. Tell me when my storage is crossing, my hard disk is crossing 85%. At 2 a.m., the system should automatically know, hey, this happens every week. I don't need to wake up Pete just to tell him that, that there is an escalation or the system is going to go down because system will recover in 30 minutes because all backup jobs kick in at 2 a.m. in the morning. Mm -hmm. So we want to cut down that. Once we have that, we believe because of the topology we have, because of the relationship we have, we can provide you enough information that you can resolve 
the ticket or issue or the problem much faster. So if you were taking, say, 60 minutes to resolve, you should be able to resolve in 30 minutes. So this is where we say 50-50-50, reduce your uh, noise and get the signal. From the signal, get the right incident. From the right incident, get minimum amount of time to resolve. Right. And enough context is provided to you. Okay. Now, help me understand a little bit about the data scope here. I mean, so we kind of start with the holy trinity of physical compute, physical network, uh, physical storage. And then there's virtualization on top of that. And then there's typically application middleware, like, a, you know, open source database or a queue server or something. And you kind of have applications above that. So at, at what, what's the scope of the data you're collecting here? Is it exclusive to the physical hardware? Do you reach up into the virtualization layer or into the, that middleware layer? Are you all the way up at the application? Is it, does it, does it depend on the customer? So help me understand yeah. where you're pulling data from that you're so, feeding this AI engine with. Got it. So we are pulling data from every layer. And in fact, all the way, we have a concept in our product called service map. Uh, service map is a logical map. And service map could be between you and me. I am an IT business service provider. You are a business owner. I would say payment service, HR case service, you know, yeah. or, or sales, sales, uh, you know, uh, something else. So that you can have that logical, but what we do, we collect all the topology of the physical devices that you mentioned. We do that. We also collect all the information of VMs and KVMs and, you know, or, or other virtual, uh, 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 systems out there, even Citrix. So we collect the virtualized in information as well. And then we collect the information for the application. The applications, I can't say we collect for every application. But we have identified a set of, you know, 40, 50 applications that most commonly used out there, either as open source or from Microsoft or from Red Hat that we support. So those common applications, if it is there in your system, and if you are running a homegrown application, we may just mark it as a black box because we are not getting any details internal from that application, but we can just show you there. And then, so what we can do, we can say, look, here is your network topology on which this particular VMs are running. On this VMs, this may be ESX server, and on that ESX server, this VMs are running. On this VM, these applications are running, and then we can provide you the whole topology. In fact, we go all the way to even show you the topology uh, for uh, microservices or cloud-native applications, like things running on a Kubernetes or Mesos. We only support those two, right? Now. So are you like peering into the Kubernetes cluster and looking at the pod layout and looking at looking at how either deployments are defined or looking about looking at traffic between the pods like how are you doing that within a kube cluster to, to figure out that yeah so we are in the kube cluster we are going and looking at the uh, with the nodes and in the nodes what the containers are running we are not going inside the container to look at you know all the details but we we are collecting all the information that the uh, that the containers are you know providing us but we know all the containers because we are running an agent so we go and run an agent in the node, uh, one agent per Kubernetes cluster in order to collect the information about all the... Per, per cluster or per node in the cluster? Like, do you have one for each node and then for the master or... Yes, each node and the master. Got it. Okay. Now, what about... So what if so what if I'm running that on GKE or EKS? Is is that something that, that you support if I've got some of that workload running on public cloud? Yeah. So we support EKS. GKS we are working on. Okay. Yeah. And so, and then, you know, we talked in the prep a little bit. So what if I've got a serverless application where I'm using like S3 
to host my static web files that are then making JavaScript REST API calls back to API Gateway to launch Lambdas to talk to a DynamoDB. Is that something that's completely black box to you because there's because it's it's all Amazon services that are a little bit more difficult to attach to, or do you have some secret sauce that's allowing you to to pull data from some of those sources as well? Yeah, so we support the RDS service of all all the Amazon databases. Okay. Uh, and we can collect data. We have a way to even go behind whatever your cloud trail or cloud watch from Amazon provides us. We can go actually behind uh, beyond that to even give you the performance level, SQL statements, or whatever you are running on a MySQL or Postgres or any other database uh, uh, underneath that. And we do that through, uh, we have a concept called like an agentless uh, appliance, or you can call it a container sure. called Gateway that you can deploy on AWS as an AMI image or as a container that can collect all this information for you, for you for that particular application. But this particular use case that you just defined this is, you are firing something from S3, so definitely we are monitoring S3, but the DynamoDB might be coming only for that duration when that serverless is executing something. Sure. So we will pick up that instance uh, of the resource being used at that point, and after that we'll say, we don't know what happened, right? So we we, we can just highlight to you that so some that black box kind of. Black box, yeah, at that point in time. Now are you finding, so, so, okay, so now I understand where the data is pulling from and sort of what the scope of the data is. So how, how are you then training that data, right? So any, any AI system, typically you've got some training data that you put through the model to train the model, and then once you've got it trained, you can then put live data through it and you get some inferencing that can give you some answers based on what the, you know, some combination of the model and the training data. So where are you getting the training data for this and so that I can live in production start to use that as an inference model? Yeah, yeah. So Pete, this is what we have been doing, right? Last two years, we, this OpsRAM, you know, the company started in 2014. They have been collecting data. They have been a bunch of customers. And this has been very uh, prevalent in, in the managed service provider world. So we have customers who are managing a bunch of customers underneath them as a partner of OpsRAM. So we have all this data, and we have been kind of looking at the data, trying to understand through mathematical model, like, you know, you know, Fibonacci series and other mathematical model to really understand what is going on. So we learn over time, but the way we have developed our engine is basically is learning because we have a concept of, you can call it a big data or a big data platform, but it's a data platform that has, you know, running on Cassandra, Elastic, MySQL, combination of this thing, depending on what type of data you are bringing in. Mm -hmm. We are collecting this data in real time. So, and then we are learning through a subset of the data that we have trained the system. Everything, the new data comes in, it automatically learns, and then it inferences it for you. But for example, if I showed you like a five inference for a given incident, and you said the fourth one actually is wrong because machine picked up, machine learned it wrong based on that. You can actually go in the system and decorrelate. That means you just told the baby, don't touch that or right. don't touch that. So it will automatically go and change it. So next time it will not relate because it just learned that way. So we are continuously learning with the set of data that is coming in the system. Yeah, but the thing is, I have a teenager. So when you say don't touch that, like, <laughs> it doesn't really work. You know what I'm saying? I, I have one too. Yeah. I, have a, I have a 13 year too, but I. <laughs> well, 
So, so does that imply, so if, if I've got a fresh install of your product, are, are you only going to use my data to train my system or like if I'm Borg, are you using GM's data to, to inform my system? I guess that that's where I'm kind of trying to understand where, where the line comes from. I mean, there's some power in taking some historical data from an existing running system and applying it to a new system, but then there might also be some, uh, you know, some security issues with that that some people are comfortable with and others aren't. So no, no. So so absolutely, very very good question. We are multi-tenant, multi-tiered platform. So we generally don't at, at this point at least we are not mixing the data between GM and Ford. We are keeping it separate, but we are training. So if you are a brand new customer today, we'll give you the model with with the sample data. That uh, sample data could not it may not be GM will not is no customer right but that sample data had to come from somewhere right or, yeah yeah I mean, it, so it's, it's really difficult to sort of manufacture the data so that that's no. kind of where I'm going yeah. if yeah. it's so, like a version thing or 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 you're you're actually pre-populating it with some stuff no so it'll be a sample data with a very very minimal data set but then we have a provision for you to provide your own data. So the way we also do it, Pete, and this is very interesting, and I think this is unique, we let you do a policy, right? So you can go to the system and say, I want, because I am a subject matter expert, I've been running IT for 20 years, I exactly know what to happen where. You can create those policies, and system will kind of be learning on your policy, which is defined by some base, some kind of a human rules. Uh -huh. Some point you can say, turn off the rules because machine has picked up enough data Got it. to learn this. So there's kind of a warming period. I mean, that, that's how the, the Cisco products that come to mind are AppDynamics and Stopwatch Cloud, that they kind of have this 30-day warming period where they collect all the data and that serves as the test data for the, you know, for the first sort of useful window of that. It sounds like you guys have something similar with a warming period. We have, we have warming as well as we have something called observe because many people today, Got right, it. They, they don't believe that this machine is doing the right thing. And they don't want to put their job on the line sure. by the machine and that somebody is going to say, hey, the system was down for 10 hours and you are not available. So we have something called observe mode. You can basically turn on the observe mode and you can observe how system is correlating and you can see, is it doing better than human or much better than human? And if you feel really, really it is doing better, you can turn it on in your environment. Otherwise, you can just observe or as long as you want. Now, the, so this, this leads me to kind of my, my last deeper question. So when I was watching the, the product overview video off of your website, I, I noticed that there was a part of it talks about, okay, you've got some set of alerts and maybe there's 25 of them. And you, you, you determine of those 25, maybe 12 of them are relevant. And then you kind of draw a, a map of those events to show how they interrelate to one another. And once you understand how they interrelate to one another, you can figure out which one is the root cause and then automate a solution. And the part of that that seems just a little magic box to me that I wanted you to educate me on was the, all right, how do you, how do you get from the 25 to the 12? Because that's, I mean, the, the SNMP thing that's stuck in my brain from all, you know, HP OpenView days is like, that's, that's the hardest part of, of that sequence of steps is, given some set of alerts that happen within a certain time frame, which ones are related to one another. So how did, how did, how does that part of the system work? Yeah. So that part of the system works with, uh, you know, a graph algorithm that we have because there's a dependency of, you know, the topology relationship. We apply mm -hmm. data. Ah, okay. 
you know, we also apply the data, for example, word embedding or some kind of, a, you know, there is algorithms. We use uh, Google's machine learning algorithms in order to really apply some correlation, whether you can call them and word smithing or some RNN, you know, sequence to sequence algorithms that can really bring things together. So you feed to the machine that, hey, I know this, these things are related. Here is a topology graph. Then you, I see. Okay. Exactly. Then you bring to the system, hey, here is the time because sometimes things can happen flapping. You have been in networking world. You know the flappings are happening, but for every flapping, you don't want okay. to be notified, right? You want the flapping to last for a certain period so that you know this is not a flapping. This is the actual issue that is happening in the system. So how do you then say, hey, it is an, it is an anomaly. This is an outlier happen which you don't expect in the system to happen at this point in time. Got it. The day and, and you, you basically take action on it. So that initial graph plays a pretty big part in that, it sounds like. Very right, cool. Right. Sorry, Alex, go ahead. I said there's no magic box, principal engineer. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I don't know when, at least this happens to me that when I, when I start thinking about like collecting all this data and my brain automatically goes back to these SNMP traps, my brain also goes back to, you know, back, back then, if you had a data problem, you could only solve it with a relational database, right? And the news talking about, you know, doing inferencing engines and using, you know, graph databases and, and some things that we just didn't have 20 years ago that, you know, not only were, certainly the, the scale of the problem is worse because we're collecting a lot more data, but we have so many more tools with which to address it now that we didn't used to. It's a really cool time to get into this kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is the perfect time for somebody to really look at, you know, the people who have been programming, problem solver, to get a little bit their head around data, mathematical model, and this is an exciting area and it's going to grow. So I think I, cool. I, I'm excited about it and I, I, IT is going to change a lot using AI ML. Sorry. We're running out of time, guys, but I do have one more question before we wrap up, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think we've kind of inadvertently been citing a couple of use cases. Um, one is kind of where, you know, it's, it's a tech support situation, and I think you also talked about being like a managed service provider. It would, it would be useful clearly in both these situations. But is there a – I'm wondering two things. Is there a company size where this starts to make sense? And in the other direction, is there a vertical where this is – you're getting a lot of traction and where this is good really one. making sense? Yeah, I think this is a very good question, Alison. I think – when you are looking at machine learning, you have to do both quantitative and qualitative study, right? If you look at a lot of retail, retail business out there, they are looking at your, your customer sentiments, how you are talking. So they are getting social feed from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and then they are trying to check with your, your purchase habits on the online, how you are doing and what you are talking, right? They're trying to correlate. Is the person buys a lot from my store and then talks good thing or bad thing, right? So it is it is that kind of at a company level you can generate that kind of a data in order to help do better marketing, in order to better reach out to the customer, in order to have a better engagement model with your customer. So you can do that providing both inside information, how the sales is happening, what you have what people are doing, what customer is doing, and then how customer is talking about you publicly. Or, or giving feedback on the website or commenting somewhere else, right? Right. And then you take the vertical, which we talked a lot that Pete was mentioning about, you know, SNMP and all. The vertical will be more around customers' ticket management, support, where where the cost of ticket is expensive. 
you know, Pete gave a very good example, hey, $500,000 and every time a ticket comes in, you are losing money. So how do you make sure the ticket doesn't come to the, to the analyst to work? You know, it is automatically taken care by the system. It is an auto resolve. You know, when it happened, nobody really needs to know about it. And that's why you save the money because you save the human to really go look at, engage and work on it. So there are many verticals that we can look into, but company-wise, absolutely, AI ML will play a big role in connecting enterprises to their customers, to their employees, uh, and, 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 and basically make a better decision for better employee engagement, better customer engagement, better productivity, um, and better feedback. So if I have a large support organization in any, any kind of vertical, this would be useful. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's what was uh, what was vexing me. That was my last question. Do you have anything else for Bonnie before we let him no, go? No, I'm good. I appreciate you, you know, accommodating the, the deep dive, Bonnie. Interesting stuff. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Edison. Really appreciate uh, this time and, uh, and kind of opportunity to speak to you. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate it. If anybody else wants to learn more about OpsRamp, uh, where do they go? Ah, uh, they go to OpsRamp.com or they can look at Look up uh, on me at uh, Twitter at Banu1527, uh, my Twitter handle, or, you know, and the best place to go about OpsRamp is OpsRamp.com. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for being on the show today and helping us uh, get our, our minds around what's going on with AI Ops. It's been terrific, and we hope you come back and talk to us again someday. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye, Pete. Bye.